the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 65 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And we are back with our very infamous series. It's time for 2022's Summer of Sharks. Nice to be back in the shark infested waters again. So to open with, we're going to do a sequel to a couple of movies we covered last year. We're going for the third in the very popular Jaws franchise, but was this as popular? We're going to find out. We're covering Jaws 3. And that music is a reminder that we are definitely back in shark-infested waters. We're back with Summer of Sharks 2, the sequel. And for our opening shark movie, we're going to go for a movie that was originally released in 3D, but now most of us see it flat. It's Jaws 3. And flat is a great word for this film. Um, to say that we're back with a splash for Summer of Sharks would be, you know, a little bit um, of an understatement because I don't think this film does this series justice. So I'm hoping we're going to have some better movies lined up for you that we're going to enjoy a lot more than this one. But, you know, when you're um, making a sequel to one of the greatest shark masterpiece films of all time, it's very hard water to tread. But with all that said, we have a synopsis to tell you all about the plot of Jaws 3 or Jaws 3D. And who better to um, write a synopsis for this film? None other than Nick Reganis. I'm thinking that Nick Reganis' synopsis is going to be far more entertaining than the movie itself. Let's find out. With the grand opening of Florida's fantastic SeaWorld theme park just around the corner, a sophisticated attraction of plexiglass tunnels and in-your-face underwater action, Amity's former police chief Martin Brody's sons, Michael and Sean, already have a lot on their plate. But before long, after the recent massacre in Jaws 2, 1978, a stranded baby great white shark infiltrates the intricate system and unsuspecting water skiers, and a busy park employees become its first meal. Now, its mother, too. A swift, massive, 35-foot-long killing machine of razor-sharp teeth is trapped in this all-you-can-eat buffet, and no one is safe. Is there an escape from the blood-stained undersea kingdom and the jaws of the great white shark? Now, yeah, that was far more thrilling than the movie itself, because the movie does not have any stakes or any element of threat to it, and that was what Jaws was known for. 
in the original you have the music and you have the shots of the shark's fin in the ocean and you you know the under the sea stuff and you know it's coming you know something's gonna happen and there's no emotion to this film at all i i don't really understand why it exists why it was made it's curiously lacking an in incident jaws 3 there isn't an awful lot that goes on in this movie there's a lot of setup and i appreciate the setup it's a great idea have it in sea world but there's so little shark action in this movie when you get down to it that you can only be disappointed and having the connection to the first two movies having brody's sons is a nice touch and it continues the family tradition of them being attacked by sharks when they least expect it but they don't really do anything with the characters dennis quaid is a great actor i love dennis quaid in most of the stuff and he's fine here but he doesn't really get to shine all that much i think that uh, his recreational drug use on this movie probably got him through the shoot Absolutely. So for those of you who don't know, but I'm sure you do because it's very much public knowledge, Dennis Quaid admits that to get him through filming this movie, he was doing copious amounts of cocaine. And throughout the film, you can see him in different states of drug use. It's quite entertaining. But if the lead actor of this film has to resort to those measures to get through filming the movie, I don't think that holds out much hope for the final product itself when it's released to audiences. Yeah. He's a good actor, as you say. For me, he'll always be the dad from the Parent Trap movie. But <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's just it was just all a wasted opportunity because it's got the legacy characters involved. It's got an interesting concept. It takes it away from what the first two movies did. We've got this whole theme park setting, which again, like I think is pretty cool. And there's so many inventive things you could do with it. But there's barely a body count in this film at all. And th there's just, you know, hardly any menace or threat, as I've previously said. So I just don't really understand what the filmmakers were going for when creating Jaws 3. And they must have realised, surely, that it was not going to hold a candle to the original. Yeah. And the 3D effects, I guess at the time, there's a lot of things getting poked in your face. Which, if you were sitting in a cinema with 3D specs, and I guess that's kind of interesting. But if you see it in 2D, it's just laughable. There's fish heads shoved in your face. There's all sorts of stuff where people are poking things at you out of the screen. It just becomes ridiculous. And because it's shot in 3D, if you see it in 2D, all the film's got this really horrible fuzzy quality about it. It doesn't seem very sharp. So it's a bit of an eye test watching it as well. You don't get any of the nice visuals of the first two movies. It just feels thrown together. And they've got really great actors just floundering in this complete mess of a movie. Bess Armstrong, absolutely love Bess Armstrong. She just about makes it out of this with her dignity intact. She's probably the best character. Lou Gossett, who I think is amazing in pretty much every movie. He's kind of reduced to doing this almost pantomime act as Calvin Bouchard, who is the park owner. And he's supposed to be a bit larger than life. But Lou Gossett is hamming it up for all he is worth there. There's no slice of ham that's left unturned when Lou Gossett is on screen. It's just a ridiculous performance in many ways. But maybe he thought, this is the only way I can be memorable in this movie. And he's right, he is memorable because he is so daft in this movie. Then you've got Simon McCorkindale, who is this Brit 
sort of cons conservator but also hunter you kind of don't know what he's doing because he kind of wants to kill sharks but then he wants to save them at one point so it's like yeah which side of the fence are you on mate but he's again i mean good actor not really given an awful lot to do i think at the time peter firth or david warner was up for his role as well both good actors i don't think either of those could have done anything with this either because it's just a dreadful hodgepodge of a movie and you're right about the lack of death in this film one thing that you can rely on usually in the jaws franchise is that quite a few people are going to get munched on by the shark at some point it's 27 minutes before anybody comes across a shark and it's a guy on a raft who just disappears under the water it's bloodless it's over with really quickly it's extremely disappointing and it continues in that vein throughout the movie like you said there's no stakes there's no threat even when people are trapped they get released fairly quickly there's a fairly frightening moment where there's a lot of people trapped in a place which is filling with water and you think oh this could make for a really great suspense sequence no no they do nothing with that they're almost forgotten at one point it's just a terrible waste of resources and good actors and a serviceable plot and the guys who wrote it i mean richard mathis and cal gottlieb worked on the other charles movies good writers but i just don't know where this went wrong nothing about it is quality in any way it's lacking in suspense everything is unconvincing there's not enough shark action i don't think it really deserves to call itself a jaws movie personally i agree with that and if i'm to hazard a guess i would probably assume that there was studio meddling involved into why the quality is so bad in this film as you say it's just very strung together the scenes are incredibly random you know you've gone through that what you know the scene of these people under attack where they're trapped and as you say it doesn't go back to it for such a long time that by that point the audience has forgotten that this is going on and it just seems all rather pointless for me i felt that because they were trying to capitalize on the 3d gimmick at the time um, which was successful in friday the 13th part three and also i think the amateurville uh, sequel one of them was in 3d as well yeah. around the same time so Horror sequels were clearly doing well in the cinema in 3D format. But for me, this was like trying to be a Friday the 13th movie without any of the gore or sex. So there's like kind of suggestion of romance and, you know, lust in this film. But it's very, very tame because obviously it is a PG-13 and 12 in the UK. Mm. So it's not going to really show much, but it just doesn't fit the style of the film, if that makes sense. So, yeah. A pile of crap, I guess. Yeah. Crap just dropped in the ocean. Yep, it's, it's no one wants. It's it's shark chum <laughs> rather than than prime cod. This movie, uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's just such a shame. I mean, I I remember seeing this a very long time ago. I didn't see it in three D, and I've seen it in the intervening years a few times. And I have to say, it gets worse every single time I see it. <laughs> I came to it thinking, well, you know what, maybe maybe the years have been slightly kinder to it and I might enjoy it this time. No, it's terrible. It's utter crap, this movie. And you're right about the, you know, the coy sexuality in this and the sort of glimpses of gore, which means that the only gory sequence in it just seems so out of place. Poor old Shelby Overman, who's been chomped on by the shark, there's a bit where they uncover his body 
when they finally find him, which seems after about three weeks of this movie, this guy's been missing forever, and they finally get to find him, and then they uncover him. And it is quite unpleasant, to be perfectly honest, and it does seem a bit jarring. It's kind of the one bit of the movie where you think, well, I wasn't expecting that, and it doesn't really fit the atmosphere of the rest of the movie. But Shelby Overman is the guy who completely of his own accord goes out to fix something gets munched by the shark but there's a woman i think she's called charlene and she's supposed to be the sort of on-off girlfriend of shelby and doesn't know why he's suddenly disappeared and she thinks it's because he's a drunk and he's just disappeared of his own accord and he's gone off somewhere and she says something like he can take a flying leap at a rolling donuts on a gravel driveway what what the fuck does that mean it's a it's a weird line it's. I, I think that they were trying to inject some humour in it, but like, flainly, fly, yeah, flying leap at a rolling donut on a gravel driveway. That makes no sense whatsoever. It's ridiculous. It, I, but it just sums up this movie. It's just full of anachronistic stuff all stuck together in the hope that something's going to work. For instance, Philip Fitzroy, who's the Simon Corkendale character, hangs around with this other guy called Jack Tate and you never really let into the secret of what he's doing there he's a sidekick but you don't know what the sidekick's doing apart from the fact that when you know spoiler alert Fitzroyce gets killed near the end of the movie by the shark uh, his sidekick realizes that he's been got and then just runs around the place shouting governor governor it's like what what what's going on? It's like this some this Cockney sidekick who's just suddenly had an attack of you know, the conniptions. He's like just running round the place, like venting his grave, going governor, governor. It's like what what's going on? <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's an that's a mess of a film. And somebody who was quite wise not to take this film on was the original actor, Roy Schneider. Um, so we've got a great fact about him because we can't talk about Jaws without talking about the iconic actor from yes. the original and the sequel. So according to the book Roy Schneider, a film biography, which was released in 2002 by Diane C. Kachmar, Schneider, who starred in the first two Jaws movies, once said, Mesosopheles couldn't talk me into doing it. They knew better than to even ask. Reportedly, Scheider agreed to make Blue Thunder 1983 in order to ensure that he was definitely and contractually unavailable for this film. <laughs> Scheider had to make Jaws 2 reluctantly due to a contract issue with Universal Pictures, whereby he owed the studio two films after withdrawing from the Deer Hunter. So we covered um, that uh, snippet of film history in the Jaws 2 episodes last summer. Yeah. To get out of the situation, he opted to do Jaws 2, a movie on which he didn't want to work in exchange for the studio releasing him from his contract. So I think he was done by this point, and I, I think the thought of having to star in another Jaws movie completely horrified him. Yeah, he did right as well, because Blue Thunder's a much better movie than Jaws 3. I mean, if you haven't seen Blue Thunder, check it out. If you haven't seen Jaws 3, yeah, probably not. This is Leah Thompson's first movie who went on to starring Back to the Future, and this is a debut on the big screen. But it might not have been her. They did audition Jennifer Jason Lee for the role. Either would have been good. I'm a big fan of Jennifer Jason Lee. If anything, Jennifer Jason Lee's a bit edgy for this part, because Kelly is kind of an all-American girl who's very bubbly and bright and 
well, bright in terms of, you know, her sunny disposition, not very bright in terms of water skiing near sharks. <laughs> yeah, Leah Thompson's not bad in this film at all. She does her best with the material she's given, for sure. And you can see that she has got star quality about her. Again, none of these actors can save this film. It's a sinking ship. It really is, with a shark um, biting at the bottom. This is the only Jaws movie which does not feature any scenes on Amity Island or, by extension, filmed at Martha's Vineyard. So, again, I like the fact that they had a new setting for the movie, just, um, you know, freshen it up a bit. SeaWorld's a great idea. Florida, I, lo I love all that idea. But, seriously, this movie did not make me want to visit SeaWorld in the slightest. <laughs> it just did not showcase anything. It has some dolphins in the film. I love dolphins. I could have just watched the dolphins for the 90-something minutes this film was on for. The dolphins, actually, I've got a fact about them. Uh, the female dolphin called Sandy in the movie is really a male dolphin named Capricorn. He currently lives in Discovery Cove, which is owned by SeaWorld Orlando, and has interactions with guests, like giving them rides and doing tricks for them. And Capricorn is now 50 years old. Great. At the time of when this fact that's was written, so that's incredible. Um, again, I prefer dolphins to be out in the wild, not doing tricks with people in Discovery Cove, but it's great to hear that the dolphin's still doing well, even after having to star in this movie, that it didn't scar the dolphin for life. <laughs> yeah, the dolphins are the most charismatic thing about this movie, and they do save quite a lot of the actors. They intervene on several occasions where the sharks are about to chomp on some of the main stars of this but again you know they're just getting bailed out of being killed by the third or fourth time the dolphins must have thought you know what these people are just blundering around into the path of the shark let's just let's just let them kill them this time they're idiots <laughs> so the film did not fare well with critics unsurprisingly it did, however, gross 13422500 on its opening weekend, and it was 1983's second highest grossing opening weekend of the year, and it played to 1,311 theatres on its widest release and accounting for 29.5% of its final gross. So it did well at the box office, I guess, because it you know, had the 3D gimmicks, it had the Jaws title attached to it, but otherwise, I think people probably were curious to go and see it and came out of the movie theatre incredibly disappointed. Yeah, financially successful, creatively bankrupt. Yeah, and I don't really feel anyone talks about it. I don't think it's, I think it's a bad movie, but it's not one that's got a notorious cult following in any way. So it's not really one that people really want to champion in any, any <laughs> way. Because you've got bad movies like Troll 2, which we've covered and how it's so bad it's good and it's just got so many entertaining factors about it like this is so bland it just doesn't have even that to redeem it exactly it's just so bad it's bad it's not even funny bad everything about it just screams that it can't be bothered with setting anything up properly and the lack of tension it just destroys it there's just people fannying about basically for 99 minutes and there's no forward drive in the plot. It just ambles from one thing to another. And there's nothing memorable about it. I mean, I've only, I only watched it a couple of days ago and I've probably forgotten most of it by now, which is bad considering the amount of times I must have seen it over the years. But apart from poor old Shelby Overman getting 
dropped onto the slab and being sort of in pieces. And apart from the fact that the dolphins rescue them, and apart from the fact that um, Fitzroy's mate is wandering around shouting, Governor, when he dies. I mean, it's like the rest of it, go figure. I mean, yeah, you're right. The 3D gimmick probably lured people in and the fact that it's a Jaws sequel. So, yeah, it would have made a bit of money out of that. But God knows what people made of it when they come out of it. It was like, well, you know, what was all that about? In terms of a sequel to the greatest shark movie of all time, it doesn't hold a candle to it. Even as a sequel to Jaws 2, it doesn't hold a candle to Jaws 2 because at least Jaws 2 has got some properly mounted suspense moments in it and a bit of gore and a couple of scares and it's got some tension. This is just... I, I mean, I just don't know what they were thinking when they made this. At the end of it, they must have thought, oh my God, what have we got here? Because there's nothing to recommend Jaws 3 at all. It is a terrible movie. Absolutely. And didn't you say to me uh, off recording that it used to screen on ITV quite a lot? It did. One of the ITV channels, it was either ITV2 or ITV4, and they went through a period of, of re-showing all the Jaws movies. At that point in time, if you wanted to see Jaws 3 over and over again, you could, because they were screening it every sort of maybe three or four nights. But I don't think even watching it once is a good idea, let alone over and over again, because there's nothing going on here. It's so dull. Yeah, I think this is going to be a very forgettable shark movie, a very forgettable sequel, and I don't think I'm ever going to revisit this film because there's just nothing to enjoy about it. It's a joyless film. And even though it's not really linked to the original in any way, apart from the characters being the children grown up, they just don't do anything with that. So to me, it just feels like a complete separate entity. You know, they had a great concept there. They could have delved into it more, especially with one of the brothers having this trauma about um, going into the water. And that's, like, glossed over very quickly and treated lightheartedly because um, he's been lured into the water by the Thompson's character and because, oh, yeah, he's getting it on with the girl. Yeah. Oh, he's got over his phobia. And I just thought that was just, like, cheap. They could have been more depth to it where he could have, you know, had this PTSD regarding the water and then maybe... His brother could have been put in peril and he would have had to go and rescue him. He'd have had to make that choice. You know, there yeah. could have been so many like interesting ideas they could have gone with and they just didn't go anywhere with it. And quite frankly, I was bored throughout this movie and easily distracted. The suggestion for what could have been done with Sean Brody is far more interesting than anything that goes off in this movie. And you're right, he's supposed to be traumatised by the water. And then as soon as... Leah Thompson sort of flutters her, her eyelashes at him. He's like, right, I'm in the water now. It's like, no, like, I am not denying the attractiveness of Leah Thompson. But having said that, if I was terrified of the water, I think even if Leah Thompson was stood there sort of waving me and I'd be thinking, no, I think not, maybe, because she kind of knows that I'm traumatised by it, so why is she luring me into this? It's like, no, you know, it's like, you, you come out on the beach, Leah. We can continue this conversation here. I'm not getting in the water. <laughs> And to connect Leah Thompson back to the future and Jaws 3D, there is, of course, a satirical reference um, to Jaws in Back to the Future Part 2. Set in 2015, there's this like suggestion that Jaws is on its like millionth sequel like, by that point. It's Jaws 19 <laughs> or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. so um, obviously it was a very much of its time reference. 
so thank God we didn't get any more Jaws sequels after the fourth one, which um, we will be covering possibly very soon on Summer of Sharks. So to round off, Jaws 3 has an unsurprising 3.7 out of 10 rating on IMDb. And it has an 11% tomato meter from Rotten Tomatoes with a 17% audience score. Yeah, this this is kind of where we're at with it. And it's, again, as I say, it's not entertaining in the slightest. So I would swerve this one. Absolutely. I mean, 3.7 on IMDb, that's a major studio movie getting 3.7 on IMDb. So that gives you a hint as to how dreadful this movie is. It should bite. It only sucks. <laughs> I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 65 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to keep up with our Summer of Shark series, we are on social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Episode 66, and we're continuing the Summer of Sharks theme. We're going to hopefully pick something that's a lot more interesting and exciting and funny than Jaws 3. What's it going to be? Well, we're still sticking with the trilogy theme and a follow-up from our season one of Summer of Sharks. We are going to be covering Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah, it's like fan- a fantastic title. Yeah. <laughs> Call it your movie, Oh, Hell No. But yeah, Oh, Hell Yes, we're going to cover it. So, until then, <laughs> stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.